Thank you, Dan. Appreciate that. Well, if you were not here last week, I'm not Lynn. I'm not Aaron. And so I just want to take a few minutes here to introduce myself. My name is Dwayne Pedroza, and my family and I moved here from Texas a little over a year ago. Uh, Pastor Lynn has brought us here to uh, start a new church in the area. Uh, This year, I'll be starting Life 180 Church. And so uh, we're uh, making the the next steps in that process here. And Lynn and the lead team are out in Orlando at a conference this week. We know uh, Aaron's situation. And so they asked me to step in and, uh, and talk today. And uh, first of all, I just want to say for the ones that were here last week, I want to say thank you for uh, some of your emails and Facebook uh, friend requests and, and comments. I really do appreciate that. And uh, again, I'll just say that if you have any questions uh, following uh, tonight's uh, Bible study, that uh, you will uh, Facebook me at Dwayne Pedroza, and uh, I will uh, happily accept your friend request and, uh, and be your friend, because we all need a friend, right? Uh, if you were last week, I got to just tell you this, this part. So last week we're, we start chapter seven and I get through verse one, two, and part of three and, um, get home. And my wife is like, seriously, just not even three verses. You can unpack more than that. And I was like, Oh no, you didn't. I know you didn't. You don't go there. And she, and, uh, I said, she goes, you got to give me more than two and a half, three verses, you know, next week, unpack more. And I said, you know what? I think just because you said that I'm going to unpack one verse this week. (laughs) And she goes, she goes, you do that. Let's see how that works out for you. And so, uh, uh, she goes, how about covering seven verses? I said, how about two? And, uh, and she goes, Dwayne, you better watch it, mister. So, uh, We'll see how many verses I cover tonight. But uh, in, in chapter 7, you've been, we've been studying chapter 7 in, in 1 Corinthians. And Paul here has been addressing, uh, he's now addressing the Corinthians questions that they had. There was some controversy regarding marriage, regarding sex. And uh, it was time for him to answer these questions. Uh, if you were here last week, I mentioned that leading up to chapter 7, he's addressing their sins. They write, they write a letter to him uh, asking him some questions. And uh, what he did first was address their sin. So now he's into, hey, this question about marriage you have. Let me, let me answer this. And let's talk about it uh, in regards to sex because you are in sexual immorality. And one of the things, <coughs> excuse me, I still have this cough. And so if you do have a cough drop, I will take it, by the way. Uh, not to be too, you know, subtle. Um, Paul is a God-centered man, okay? And so when he is, uh, he's not man-centered. And if you notice in any of his letters that he writes, um, he is, oh, look at this. What a good man. Thank you. If you need it, it's there. Oh, I need it already. All right. By the way, my wife says your cough is irritating. I've been hearing this for about a month now. So um, Paul is a God-centered man. He's not man-centered. What I mean by that is that 
When you see him answer questions and write to the other churches in the New Testament, it's always centered around God's commands and God's getting glory or God's glory. He's not afraid to address tough issues, controversial issues. Um, He's not really focused on uh, making sure that the people felt good. He wasn't really concerned more about addressing or I should say having a their felt needs met. He was about uh, them receiving God's truth and being in right relation with God and living under the authority of God and following his commands. So you can say Paul is very straightforward. He, he shoots straight with you. And that's what he's doing here. And, and, and so Paul, uh, Paul says, okay, you know what? You've been living in sexual immorality. You have, uh, you have see sexual desires. The solution, the answer is marriage. But with that, there come some guidelines. And see, and one, of the, one of the themes here in these, this first part of chapter 7 is sexual purity and marriage. And how does that work? What does that mean? Well, what Paul does here is that, is that he's saying, you know... He, First of all, Paul's not against sex, okay? He, he's not condemning sex. He, he's, what he's doing and what he has done is condemn um, sinful sex, sex outside of marriage. God is for sex. God created sex. And what we have to realize is that, see, everything God created is good, But when sin entered the world, it corrupted things. And one of those things that corrupted is sin. I mean, is sex. And so so we see that sex is good. But God created it within the confines of marriage. And it's supposed to take place inside of marriage regardless of what society is communicating to us. Okay, real quick. How many married people do we have here tonight? Okay, single people. Okay, I'm going to touch on, 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 on being single here towards the end. I know this passage can cause some controversy, can cause some dislike. Um, so I'm going to ask that you be gracious and hear this out until the very end. Okay, because really at the core of this uh, is, is a lot deeper than sex and marriage, what Paul's saying here. And, um, you know, and so, so going back to what God created, God created sex and, uh, and, uh, and he says, sex is good. You know, it's funny. It's not like he created man and created, and then created Eve, then took a break, went and got something to eat, you know, takes a walk, comes back and is like, what are y'all doing? How, How did you figure that out? Whoa. It's not, it wasn't like that. God created sex. And, uh, and, and so, mu- so much time in, in, in the church dynamics, in, in Christianity dynamics, we put these certain um, uh, taboos or, or rules or certain things that, that, um, that we're not supposed to think of sex. Well, that, that, that's, that's a false idea because God created that. And it's very clear that he's for, he, he's, he's for, for sex. He created our bodies for pleasure. He created our bodies for sex to be enjoyed in marriage. And we thank God for that. 
Amen? There you go. Yeah, all the guys, right? But here it is. If, if sex, sex is a great benefit to marriage. But if you are married and you're just looking for sex, meaning that's your focus, what you're doing is you're avoiding the relationship, the marriage. Sex only works in a marriage relationship. You know, it's like fire. It's great in the fireplace. But you take out of the fireplace, there's trouble. Right? Sex is great in marriage. You take it out, it's trouble. I tell my wife, honey, I'm like fire. I'm hot. She goes, no, you're not. You're like fire. You're trouble. And so... There you go. There you go. But sex is, God created sex for oneness. You look in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. God created sex for oneness. And, um, and so there's nothing wrong with wanting to have a lot of sex in marriage. Okay? Breathe. And for the record, I'm going to cover seven verses. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your creation. We thank you, dear God, that uh, you've given us the gift of, of being married. You've given us the, the gift of, of being single. We thank you, dear God, for the words Paul has written to guide us and instruct us. And God, I don't know where everyone is in their marriage and their relationships and their dating relationships and their marriages right now. But God, I just pray that we just quiet our hearts, quiet our spirits tonight. That um, we will take a look at our hearts, take a look at ourselves. Allow your truth, your words to sink into our hearts. That that it'll take root in our hearts and that we live it out. And that I just pray, dear Lord, that this is just a a, a night that is just... uh, a marker, dear God, for people in their, their walk with you and in their relationships. And, um, and that uh, we just see the, the truth uh, that you're bringing to, uh, to us through First uh, Corinthians chapter 7. So give us wisdom tonight and give us clarity. And uh, we just give you this time. Your precious name we pray. Amen. Okay, First Corinthians chapter 7. I'm going to start in verse 3 and read through verse 9 right now. The husband should fulfill his marital duties to his wife. And likewise, the wife to her husband. The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may, de- may, so you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all men were as I am. But each man has his own gift from God. One has this gift, the other has that. Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, is it good for them to stay unmarried as I am? But, they, but if they cannot control themselves, they should marry but it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Okay. 
Paul is, what he's doing here, he's communicating different types of attitudes we should have and not have in order for marriage to be, a, to be functioning effectively. Okay? And I'm going to hit on some of these attitudes and how it affects and what Paul is saying here in these verses. And if you're single... Um, this is going to apply it. To, this applies to everyone. This is, I'm just not talking to just the, the married couples tonight because what Paul is saying here is a truth and truths that apply to each of our lives, whether you're married or you're single. Okay. So we, we can, we can, uh, we can read those verses right there. And, 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 and some, some guys and, um, and women may, may start thinking along these lines. I own my wife. And the wife is like, maybe, I don't know about this one, but she may say, I own my husband. And, uh, or the husband may read those verses and think, oh, she's obligated to have sex with me whenever I want. The wife is like, he's crazy. What, he's smoking. You can read that, and the men, the husbands can say, well, she can't say no to me because then that wouldn't be mutual consent. And the wife can read that and say, he's just going to have to get over it. And what I'm talking about here and what Paul is hitting here in this, in this first, uh, in, in verses three and four, the husband should fulfill his marital duties to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife's body does not belong to her, her alone, but also to her husband. And the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. Okay. Here's what I want you to grab hold of. Here's what I want you to grab hold of. Without love and freedom, marriage is a negotiation. Without love and freedom, marriage is a negotiation. And one of those ways it shows up is with a demanding attitude. And a demanding attitude kills a relationship. For the man, a demanding spirit can show itself, uh, itself by, you know, and I've been guilty of this myself. Hey, I want to be with my wife tonight. It's been, a, it's, it's, it's been a long day at work. It's been a stressful day at work. Uh, I, you, you, you come home, really don't make conversation with your wife. But you start telling her what you want to do tonight. And you start groping her. And there is nothing else involved in the relationship or in the connection. And you, and, and you, and you tell her, you know, this is, this is what I'm expecting. And you, you can just be saying it just by th- through your actions and body language. On the other hand, the wife has had a long day, whether she works outside the home or works inside the home. And she's tired or really not in the mood that night. But the man... Um, is not meeting his wife's needs in other ways, but yet he expects or demands his wife to meet his physical needs. And the wife says, you know, man, I just had a long day. I'm tired. I need sleep. And so what ends up happening is that you go to bed mad. Feelings are hurt. Distance is now in the marriage. He wakes up thinking, oh, she better take care of me today. Or tonight, and she's waking up hurt, thinking, I hope he comes to me and apologizes. See, demanding spirit 
thinking that we have the right to demand something from our spouse doesn't create freedom. It takes rejection and uses it against it, the spouse. It creates distance. The husband can become quiet. The wife says, hey, what's wrong? Nothing. And no real relationships taking place. Because according to the husband, she did not meet my demands. On the other side, the wife could be saying, if he will do this, if he will help around the house, if he will just be the spiritual leader, if he will just help with the kids, yeah, then I'll be with him. And the guy starts thinking, you know, why is she being so mean? Does she really want to have sex? Does she really want to be with me? Why, why does it have to be so difficult to have sex, to, to be with my wife? Wife is, can't you do more? The husband is, can't we just be together? And they're demanding in their own ways, in their own spirit, in their own attitude. And really what's happening is a disconnect in the relationship. See, and what I've learned about a demanding, a, 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 about a demanding spirit and attitude, and, and when we demand love or demand sex, it breaks trust. And a lot of times, guys, I'm telling you, I've done this. You start objectifying your wife. And the wife feels, he doesn't value me. And if you, you know, if, if you really think about it, if, if you really think about it, what person wants to be intimate with a spouse that is, is demanding or neglectful? Because that breaks trust. It does not foster love. And what it's doing, it's not providing freedom in the marriage. And so the marriage is negotiation. It's almost like, it's almost like um, playing poker, you know, playing cards. Okay, I got this hand, and the wife's got this hand, and if he plays that card, I'll play that card. If he plays this, I'll play that. And they're going back and forth with their own demanding spirits and trying to, trying to, to negotiate and at the heart of it all is mistrust, misvalued, is like, what is going on? There is no relationship taking place. The marriage should have an attitude and environment of freedom. You know, last week, uh, uh, somewhere in the talk, I talked about uh, husbands, what it means to fulfill our marital duties. And I hit four areas. I hit the emotional, the spiritual, the financial, and the physical. And, um, and so here's, here's, here's what, here's what freedom looks like. Okay. Let's just say that, (coughs) that the husband is taking time to pray with his wife, to date her, to, to set a time side regularly to talk with her, to really find out how she's doing. He's investing in her. And the same thing is happening. She, she's investing in him. There's a conversation taking place. And then maybe you go on walks together. And when the husband is doing this, in other words, he is investing in his wife's heart. He is meeting her needs and he has created an atmosphere of freedom. And the wife feels safe. And, 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 and when connecting, 
an intimate time, spending time together, praying with each other, you know, what you really are seeing is that, you know what? I understand what my wife needs are, what her desires are, what her wants are. The wife is, I understand where my husband is, what he's dealing with, how, what, his, what his struggles are, his desires, his wants. Because you know what? Time has been invested together. And that's one of the things Paul is saying here is that, is that hey, yeah, he's, there is a, there's a common theme here of, of, of our obligation, husband and wife, to meet each other's needs physically in a, in a sexual intimate way. But it's much more than that. He's saying there is a marriage relationship here that you've got to be connected with. You know, when, when someone has a demanding spirit, the attitude is, oh, you owe me. But when there's a spirit of freedom in the marriage, because you and your spouse have been clicking on all cylinders, in conversation, and in, in spiritually, you're praying together, mostly you're in tune, then that physical part... Just not sex, but, but, the, the, but the, the, the sex part becomes just natural. It's more intimate. It's better. You know, so, so yeah, so, so you, you, and your, you and your spouse, you, you plan a day together, and you, you go, you're going to go hike Camelback, go have lunch, you spend the day talking, holding hands, just, just, going th- just enjoying each other. Okay, and you have a nice dinner and and you're you're coming home that evening and the husband's thinking, okay, we're going to be together tonight. And then it doesn't happen because your wife's tired because y'all did all this exercise. But here's the difference. Here's the difference. Is that. Yeah, the husband may be disappointed to a certain degree. But he understands and he doesn't hold it against her. And the wife will notice that because she had freedom. He didn't come with a demanding spirit. Love gives. Love does not take. Love gives. Love does not take. Marriage is not a a negotiation. Paul is telling us here, yes, husbands and wife, you have a responsibility to meet your, your spouse's sexual needs. He says, but there's much more than that. You need to check your heart, check your attitude. There's a right way to do this thing. And so he goes on here in verse 5, says, do not deprive yourself except by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourself to prayer, then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Paul is basically warning them here of the seriousness on how you and your spouse approach marriage and how it relates to sexual relationships and their sexual relationship within the marriage. People can read that verse right there. Do not deprive yourself. And they're either going to have a selfish attitude or a selfless attitude. The, self, the, the selfish attitude is going to be of, oh, I get to have it whenever I want. That's what, that's what the Bible says. And guys, we can get into this mindset that, you know what? If I ask her, you know, and, and, and uh, she's not supposed to say no. And she says no, and you open up. But, but it says right here. 
Do not deprive. Do not deprive. Guys, don't do that. Don't do that. And so, so here it is. Because Paul is saying, hey, do not deprive each other. He's really talking about selfish and selflessness. Because he's saying, hey, selfishness kills freedom. It kills love. It kills the relationship. It's the in, it, selfishness is the internal enemy to intimacy. And they'll show up in different ways. They'll show up in, hey, feeling sexually rejected. Oh, she said no. He said no. That's a shocker. It seems like my jokes are like taking a long time to get over there. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it could hit, it could hit the, 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 the court of, I got rejected. That's selfishness. It, 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 it can show up in insensitivity or an unloving attitude or a discouraging attitude or a critical attitude. It could show up this way, guys. You know what? Let me just unload the dishwasher for her today. It's funny how the women laugh. The guys are real quiet. Or you do something that you normally wouldn't do or normally don't do for your wife. And... The whole motive behind it is, I want sex. Selfishness. It's about me. I'm going to do these things because this is what I want. And then bedtime comes, you're all excited. It doesn't happen. And you're bent out of shape because, you know what? Right here, it's hitting selfishness. The other side of it is, ladies, your husband comes home. He does something nice for you. What does that mean? He wants sex. He starts rubbing your shoulders and you start thinking, why does he only do nice things for me and only rub my back when he wants to be with me? And it rubs you the wrong way. That's selfishness. Selfishness kills. And so many marriages are fueled by selfishness and it shows up in the bedroom. Yeah, verse 3 and verse 4 in here say we have a responsibility to meet our our, our spouse's uh, needs sexually. But it doesn't stop there. That's not the only responsibility you have. It's it's much more than sex. Selflessness, Christ tells us, love God, love others. Submit to one another. Serve one another. Do not elevate yourself above others. But how many times when we read that, do we put that in the marriage context? Paul wrote those words. See, Satan fell, fell because of pride and attacked the first marriage with pride. And he'll attack our, our marriages with weapons of pride and rejection, which goes back to being to, hidden our selfishness. God made sex pure. Satan uses it for perversion. God created sex for oneness. Satan uses it for, to bring division. God created sex to produce life. Satan uses it to bring death. This means that there's a battle going on. And Satan would love to have your marriage fall apart. So yeah. Selflessness. Guys. Yeah, we could help in the kitchen. We can... We can clean the bathrooms, clean the toilets. 
I know it's not the easiest thing. And sometimes when my wife asks me, I'm just like, oh, come on. But I do it. But I do it. Ladies, it may be, yeah, I'll sit next to him and watch football. I really don't want to. But you know what that does for a guy? Man, it's just putting deposits in us because we got the woman that we love right next to us watching our game. Life's good. Selflessness. And when you start serving each other and you are for each other and you're truly looking to meet each other's needs, the natural outcome will be sex. It just flows. It's not demanded. It's not, it's not trying to negotiate to get it. It just naturally comes. That's like the natural next step. But it starts with your heart attitude. What am I doing for my spouse? Am I meeting his needs? Am I meeting her needs in other areas? I'm just not talking physically right now. Because one of the best things you probably can do is lock yourselves in a room Look each other in the eye for 15 minutes and just talk. And you'll be amazed with no distractions, not taking your eyes off each other, what will take place in that conversation. That's a challenge. That's what I dare you to do. You may want to start with five minutes of silence and just look in each other's eyes. Hold each other's hands. And five minutes just saying, what you see in each other's eyes. You talk about breakthroughs. You talk about being intimate. You talk about getting to the heart of your marriage. It will happen. Yeah, but there are some times where sex is not going to happen. And Paul writes here, do not deprive each other except by mutual consent for a time so you can devote yourself to prayer. But you and you, both of all of us know that, hey, there's going to be those times, those seasons in marriage where a spouse is sick. A spouse is not doing well. A spouse is buried at work and there's nothing else you can do. It's long hours or long hours for her. Here's the difference. You're meeting each other's needs Emotionally and spiritually, there's an understanding. So the rejection, the selfishness, the critical tone of, hey, we can't be together right now, is removed. And it's replaced with, how can I help you? How are we going to get through this? It's serving. You know, Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, tells us that God made man and woman and they were naked and not ashamed. And many read that and look at that from a physical standpoint. Oh, they were naked? Yeah, which is, we all say, that's a great thing. Yeah, woo woo. And, but there's another point here is that it's talking about the soul. Meaning, 
the husband and wife should have nothing to hide. Well, if, if marriage is supposed to have a freedom in it, and we're supposed to talk and share with each other our intimate desires, feelings, concerns, whatever it is, and be connected, then we need to be spending time investing in each other's heart. So there's nothing to hide. So a wife can say to her husband, this is how I'm feeling. This is how you made me feel. This is what I need. This is what I want. This is what's going on with me. And the husband can do the same thing. And you know what? There's genuine concern and understanding. So when you're connected and you're not hiding anything and mutual consent takes place, it's understandable and it's right because the two of you are so connected emotionally and spiritually and the attitude of selflessness and, and putting your spouse first is right there in front of you. But Paul does say, whenever that time period's over, yeah, come back and be together sexually, be together physically. You see, Paul's words are very wise because he knows, hey, we're, we're sinful people. We have our weaknesses. And Satan's going to tempt us where we're weak. You look at Jesus when he went before. Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights before he went into the desert to be tempted by Satan. And what's the first thing Satan went after was his hunger. So what do you think Satan's going to go after when there's a mutual consent for whatever reason? He's just going to start throwing the darts, trying to make us stumble. And Paul's saying, you know what? Yeah, just like I told you, you have, a, you have a responsibility. Do not go back to your life of sexual immorality. Do not defile your body by having sex outside of marriage. I'm giving you the guidelines. Because, yeah, Satan is crafty. And he can bring up things that, will, that, can, that can make someone stumble and fall. Here's the caution here, is that Paul, when he, when he uses the word deprive, that is the same word he's using in chapter 6 when he's talking about lawsuits, when he's talking about you're cheating someone. It's the same word in the Greek. And so he's saying, hey, when you deprive each other, you're taking from each other what God intended for you. And for your spouse, you're taking it away. So that verse is not saying, oh, good, guys are thinking, oh, I could have sex every day. Oh, thank you. You know, women may think, oh, if I, just, if, if, I, if I just have sex with him three times a month, I didn't deprive him. He should be thankful. That's not what it's saying. What he's saying here throughout this whole theme here is that as you meet each other's needs and give yourself completely to each other, spiritually, physically, emotionally, you are going to know what your rhythm is in the marriage, in that area. In verse 6, when he says, love is a concession, or I'm saying this as a concession, not as a command. He's really saying, hey, don't approach this whole physical part. You know, this whole sex thing with the legalistic eyes. 
because that legalistic will will not foster freedom and love in the marriage. And it goes back to that marriage then it is a negotiation. See, when, when, when the Corinthians wrote this letter to Paul, they're, they're, they were looking for rules. And, uh, and, and Paul responded, not only providing guidelines, but also addressing the relationships. And so, you may have heard this phrase before, but rules without relationship equals rebellion. And you can apply that to any type of relationship. You can reply, apply it to God. Rules without relationship leads to rebellion. You can apply it to with our kids. Rules without relationship leads to rebellion. You can uh, apply it with marriage. God's rules without relationship can lead to some type of rebellion. And and what Paul's doing here is saying, we're bringing this all back under God's authority. And, and, And to be obedient to his commands so that you will not be living in sin, not be living in rebellion like they were. He says, I want you to approach your marriage with an understanding heart, not a legalistic heart. You know, don't be holding a checklist over your spouse's head saying, okay, okay, okay. Oh, you missed one here. You better do that. See, marriage exposes our sins. But marriage should also be a safe environment where your spouse and yours flaws, mistakes, mess ups are received with grace and love and support. See, what Paul's saying here is that, hey, the marriage is going to thrive when you're connected spiritually, physically, and emotionally. It's a relationship. Sex is bigger. Sex is a big part of it because the intimacy it brings, but it's just part of the marriage. Now, I'm just going to jump down here, too, because I said I will hit, on, uh, hit uh, the, 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 the verse on singles. Verse 7 says, I wish that all men were as I am, but each has his own gift from God. One has this gift, the other has that. Now to the married and to the, and to the widows, I say, is it good for them to stay unmarried as I am? But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Okay. Paul was single. But what we don't know about this, if he was always single, if he was divorced, if he was widowed. The Bible didn't tell us that, but we know he was single. Paul is not saying that since some of you are single, you're cursed. Okay, I said he was single. Jesus was single. Jeremiah was single. God was not holding out on them. Paul is basically saying here, live your life. He is saying, prepare yourself for marriage. Walk with God. Keep yourself sexually pure, being in right relationship with God. And you take what he's saying here in the, in the marriage part of it, the attitude, the, the, uh, what marriage constitutes, how, how sex is supposed to operate. He says, and remember those principles. Find people that will mentor you, that will walk alongside you. You know, but what if a single person says, you know, what, what about my sexual desires? My response to that is, 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 where's your focus? What are you focusing on? My wife and I have two dear friends. One who, um, and they're, they're both young, and one lost her husband to cancer. She was 
36. And uh, our other friend, her husband, left her. And they have just been, what, in, in my personal experience, some great examples of what it means um, to allow God to meet their needs and to fill them up. And uh, uh, I just see personally how they've pursued God passionately. And uh, it's, just, it's just so cool to see how God is taking care of them and, uh, and, uh, and allowing them to, uh, to, to, to flourish. And, you know, uh, where they're even talking about, okay, I can even talk about maybe possibly dating. I don't know if marriage is in my future or not, but you know what? If it's not, I'm okay. See, not everyone is or will be married. You know, some people will remain single just like Jesus did. But those who are unmarried should be careful not to assume that God has done evil to them because that's not what he's done. He has gifted them in a way with a certain kind of freedom and ministry that married people do not share. So live your life. Pursue God. You know, yeah, I did talk about sex and marriage and our hearts of a demanding spirit and selfishness and legalistic. And But here, here, here's, the, here's the overarching theme. Is that God is telling us in here within the what's woven in as sexual purity and marriage is that pursue godliness pursue godliness and that shows up and what better um, venue do we have than in our marriage with our spouse to put someone first to help them out to meet their needs to invest in them if you have a, you find yourself saying, you know what? I relate to that demanding spirit. I relate to that selfishness. Oh, I'm a little bit legalistic. You know, chances are that you probably need to ask yourself, what's your relationship with God? Are you demanding of Him? Are you being selfish and asking Him to? To do things for you? Is it a legalistic approach? That's something you got to process. What I want to do, are, are we okay on time or do I need to wrap up? Okay, you know what? Let me stop right there. Do you all have questions? Because there's something I want to wrap up with, but any questions right now? Without love and freedom, Marriage is a negotiation. Where's your heart? You know, I don't know where your marriage is. Like I said earlier, when I prayed, guys, girls, if you're single, I don't know where you are in in your dating relationships. And this is probably not the normal way y'all have ended the the mind Bible study. But I'm going to do something a little bit different. And uh, and I'm just going to ask. And I'm not even, you can, you can choose what you want to do. I'm going to ask married couples, either 
to take the next little bit and pray with each other. If you're not comfortable doing that in this setting, to talk to each other. Maybe you're at a point where, you know what? I need to ask forgiveness because of a certain attitude I have. Maybe it's time to make some commitments with each other. Hey, we're going to have date night or whatever. I'm going to give you all about five minutes and then I'll wrap up in prayer. Those of you that are single, I'll give you the choice. You can pray by yourself or if you want to get, get with some other singles and just pray together, I'd encourage that. I know this is probably, I don't know if this is the norm or not, but so I'm going to ask of you. And so just take about five minutes and then I'll wrap up in prayer. Okay, before I pray, um, I was just told that um, uh, Aaron and Holly found out that uh, uh, Kate's uh, PET scan came back positive for cancer. Um, so, um, just ask that you keep them in your prayers. You know, it's you, I've read the blogs and it's it's been an emotional time and time of questioning and seeking God's clarity and understanding that um, the best thing we can do is walk walk this road with them and support them and encourage them, and that's going to come through our prayers and and uh, and so I'm going to. Pray for that. Pray for us, and and uh, we'll be on our way. <coughs> God, we know that you're in control, but see, how sometimes we'll still ask why. And there's sometimes that um, we know that we don't understand completely how you're working, but yet we desperately want to know. And God, there's it just uh, it breaks our hearts, dear God, for Aaron and Holly and Kate and the and the kids, dear God what they're dealing with and but also dear God it's encouraging to see how they've grabbed hold of you and it's just been a uh, just a just a living testimony of how they're going to cling to you in a time of need and a time of struggle a time of needing wisdom and on how to parent and just how to love and just what what the right words to say to Kate are so, God, we're going to ask that you would just graciously, dear God, just comfort Kate and the kids and Holly and Aaron. We can only imagine what kind of conversations will take place, dear God, but give them the wisdom to speak into to Kate. Lord, we're going to ask, dear Lord, that and we'll continue to ask for complete healing. And that uh, you would grant Kate many more years of life. We're going to trust you during this time. I pray, dear God, that, that we as a church would rise up, dear God, and, and, and walk this road with them. So many people have, dear God. And so we just ask, dear Lord, that uh, um, you give us the words to say, to write, to text the right words of encouragement and that it would just bless them, dear God. So God, we just ask, dear Lord, please heal. Please heal. And Lord, there may be couples here tonight that are going through situations in their marriage. I don't know, dear God, maybe they're seeking healing in their marriage. 
Let's pray, dear God. Tonight's just a start to the road to recovery and just to getting back to a healthy marriage that would just blossom and flourish where they will just um, have a marriage that is just unbelievable. And I pray for the ones, dear God, that they would say, hey, we're, we're, we're hitting on cylinders, dear God, that uh, you protect their marriage, that you allow them to still grow and to learn and to, and to keep falling in love with each other over and over. And that um, as they do, dear God, they, uh, they fall more in love with you. So protect our marriages. We love you, dear God. Amen.